Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 105. I'm Dan. I'm here with Brad. We're going to talk some news and we're going to get into some of the current economics and things. Sorry, it's been a, a week since we've been here. It's uh, a changing time in our lives, both it's, of us with it's young It's mostly kids. my fault, but Dan can take some of the blame. <laughs> I will, and starting new work and just different things like that. So there are a number of things that have been under development here. Uh, interesting changes in the the world and the big news items. Uh, one of those is that Russia, the Russia and Ukraine war is at a strange place. There was a significant counteroffensive, I believe we mentioned it before, from Ukraine in which they pushed Russia out of uh, a lot of the north and northeastern part of, uh, of Ukraine. Um, at this point, they've successfully cleared more areas. Uh, they, there was a story I was listening to where they, they, uh, they took back this area that Russia had claimed. If you, if you didn't know this, Russia at some point here said, these are the lands we're claiming. And they drew them on a map and they, uh, and they said, this is, this is ours now. These places have joined us through legitimate, uh, I don't know what they, if they said election, but th- they've chosen to be with us essentially mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they're now ours. And uh, they... <laughs> The Ukrainian forces went into one of the cities and an American reporter was talking to people or maybe they were, it was a European reporter, but it was someone who was not Ukrainian was talking to people in this little village, this small city, I guess a little village and small city can mean two very different things. I I don't know the size (laughs) of this. It was sizable enough that we have a journalist there, right? So probably somewhat significant, but. Anyway, the person had no idea because they hadn't had internet for a while that Russia had claimed them and that they, and that they were supposedly in Russia at that point. <laughs> so it's not even or, that the people were, were on board with the change. The change was so poorly executed, it wasn't even communicated to the people. Yeah, they, they didn't know. That's They'd impressive. Been living their daily lives, yeah. So anyway, that, that gives you some sense of how firm it is. And Russia said things like, we're going to defend our new territory. But then later, Russia indicated in a public announcement that the border, borders weren't firm and were still being worked out. <laughs> no duh. Which, which is true, right? Because you have Ukrainian soldiers pushing into them as we speak. Um, which puts Russia in an interesting place internally. They're getting a lot of pushback from their... from. The youth, the, the people that would be fighting in the war, right? They're trying to mobilize more troops. They're trying to do different things. And to some degree, you can see why this has pushed them into a position where they feel like, given this series of bad choices they made up to this point, I don't want to make it feel like this is inevitable, but they're, they're threatening nuclear war. They're saying we've got nuclear weapons. We're going to use them. To be fair, to. Dan, you should say they're threatening nuclear war again, you know? Putin has always yes. had one stick that he likes to rely on. Um, some some might argue that part of the idea with the annexation was to try and try and make it look more like a defensive war, saying, "Hey, we just want yeah, this territory, yeah, yeah. and we're just going to hold it. This territory is actually Russia," which which is silly because. I mean, that's one of the original things they said early on is they're defending, you know, Crimea and these other areas that they had stolen earlier. Um, you uh-huh. can tell which side I'm I'm biased towards. I'm not even not even you know pretending to care at all about about Russia's half of this argument, you know. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is not the first time that 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 Putin has threatened a, a nuclear attack. Um, this one is a little bit more 
more specific. You know, he's talking about like using nuclear weapons against Ukraine. I I still don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. I don't think he's he's that stupid. But the thing is, is it doesn't really cost him anything to threaten nuclear war. Because threatening nuclear war is not a legitimate reason to use nuclear weapons. No one's going to nuke Russia for threatening to use nukes. You know what I mean? And so (laughs) he can threaten it as much as he wants and in the hopes of limiting how much help Ukraine gets. You know, I mean, right now Ukraine, um, I believe, just just completed the the application which means they started it you know what i mean but the application to join nato which is something that you know a year ago they weren't going to do and so that's a huge you know a huge policy shift on their part which makes sense there's you know the whole reason not to join nato is because Russia's going to attack you, <laughs> you want to so. get invaded by yeah, russia yeah exactly so if russia's already invading you might as well join right but yeah. but i've wondered if perhaps the the nuclear threats are directed towards NATO saying don't don't join this battle because you won't like what happens. You know what I mean? If it's just us fighting Ukraine, we probably won't do anything. But if we feel like the whole world's turning against us, well, the whole world may go up in smoke. Yeah, and like you said, there's there's not really anything to lose by making this threat, which which should be taken into consideration if you're thinking, wow, this is a big threat. Mm-hmm. It's it's not from their perspective. And obviously, if they actually carried it out, it would be, the consequences would be dramatic. Uh, well, and, dramatic and, to be, and, and to be clear, like there's the only nothing to, to, nothing to lose because Putin is already a pariah. You know what I mean? Because, yes. the, because uh-huh. the world is already sanctioning him. You know what I mean? It's kind of <laughs> like North <laughs> Korea. Once you were cut off from everyone else, now there's nothing to lose. Yes, yes, that's right. If he had done this at a different point in time or, or does it again later when circumstances are different, uh, there would be more consequences. But right now, I, I mean, what are we going to do? Uh, put some... Send more uh, money to Ukraine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's in a situation where it probably won't make his current situation worse. And so he's, got, he's comfortable making this threat. And I've, I've been surprised... Uh, scanning through Twitter to see people that whose opinions I respect on a variety of things, taking the threat seriously. Um, in fact, Biden, this was surprising to me because I, 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 I guess I didn't know which, you know, how Biden would interpret it, but Biden said, we are the closest we've been to, uh, to nuclear war since, what did he compare it to the Cuban missile crisis? I think, um, and and that could be true. That could technically be true. I mean, when's the last time someone threatened, you know, nuclear war? Like literally yes. said, "Hey, we uh-huh. might use nukes." Right, right, right. That that may very well be true, but that doesn't mean we're close to nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That it can be true that it's the closest we've been, but we're also not actually close. Um. So anyway, I I don't think they're going to use nuclear weapons, and and that obviously. You know, that could happen. But if I had to guess the odds, I would say you know, at least 95% chance that they're not, not even considering it. That this is just, just part of trying to position better, trying to, and like you said, Brad, I think trying to reframe the war's defensive is important, even if no one in the world buys it, except their own people. Mm-hmm. Because they're actually having a hard time finding the young men in their country. Mm-hmm. People people who are starting to be like, I'm going to get pulled into this war, and this war is stupid. And so the young men are disappearing. They're hiding. 
they're avoiding uh, things. There are protests still happening um, in a country where you can get thrown in jail forever for such things. Um, it's just there's a lot of pushback internally. Yeah, not to mention to deal with it. not to mention even though Putin does have a lot of control, there are other people with power in Russia that he needs to to at least placate to some degree. You know what I mean? And yes. And at this point, I'm sure with the Ukraine war, people have to be wondering those people with influence with some degree of power, what's our end game here? You know what I mean? We were supposed to we were supposed to just charge into Ukraine and just dominate them. That failed. We were then supposed to, you know, do this and do that, and that's failed. And now we're actually losing ground against this small country. And it's humiliating. And it's humiliating. And, and I'm not seeing any exit strategy that doesn't result in us getting pushed all the way back into our own country and looking like complete idiots. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, so I think I think Putin is definitely trying to to save face. You know, maybe he was trying to to secretly negotiate and say, hey, just give us this and we can and we can call a ceasefire. But but my guess is now that Ukraine's got the upper hand, they're not interested. I mean, Zelensky has said has said as much, you know, that he yeah. has no interest in working with Putin. He has no interest in in backing down because he, you know, he tastes the victory. He realizes that that Putin is running out of steam, both politically and militarily. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I really like uh, our our initial reaction to this, Brad. Do you remember? What, I remember what I thought. I yeah, thought, we thought it was going to be over one way or another very quickly. Very quickly, that and likely that Russia would just steamroll through. If maybe they could mount some meaningful resistance for a brief time, and then it would be over unless outside militaries intervened, which didn't seem like they were going to. And so, yeah, there was I, there were conversations from. Good analysts who were you know, seemingly good analysts, maybe this doesn't, maybe this undermines that credibility. Who were saying things like, "Yeah, best case scenario." Even even this was after after Russia started to hit its initial snags. They were saying things like, "Best case scenario, Ukraine is able to stall this out, and it becomes worse for everybody in some ways because the war lasts longer and gets bloodier." Mm -hmm. That has not been the case. Russia has really, really fumbled this at every level. Um, and now they do look stupid. And there's there's a group of patriots in Russia, as there are in every country, who are looking at this, and they are really upset about how stupid they look and about how incompetent it all looks. And they're part of the one, partially the group that are pushing, like, maybe we should nuke somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Show them the might of Mother Russia, or something like that. I'm sure that's exactly how they talk. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Elon it's Musk. Crazy. Elon Musk is one of those people who is afraid that uh, that this would devolve into nuclear war, even recently. And so he proposed an exit strategy, um, and got a lot of pushback. Zelensky was not happy. Said, which <laughs> he made a. Uh, Elon has a funny way of making polls on Twitter, and people are copying him. And Zelensky copied it, and he said, "Which Elon do you like better, pro Russia or pro Ukraine?" Which, of course, is a silly way to think of it, but. Zelensky's made his credit where credit's due. Zelensky has made his stand. He's made it absolutely clear we're not surrendering. We're going to push back, and I think rightfully deserves a significant amount of credit for how this war has turned out in favor of Ukraine, despite the odds. Mm -hmm. um, but also, 
Elon Musk trying to be prudent and not get into a nuclear war is understandable, but I think uh, I think that's too cautious. I don't think Russia would dare do it. But Elon Musk is in the news for another reason. And he's always in the news, Dan. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I say that like that. You may not know that. If you follow anything regarding tech or are ever on Twitter, Elon Musk is generally trending. Um, there's something about the man that's he's got real star power in a in a strange way. <laughs> he's got, he's uh, he is a true celebrity at this point. Uh, has been for some time. But he, the saga of him buying Twitter has been the word, the most, what's the word? Bizarre roller coaster. It's just, it's like, it's like a bad drama movie where the stakes are really low, but they keep like playing into the drama of it and it keeps going back and forth. Like, is she going to get the man or not? And it's like. Arbitrary barriers, and, it's like, <laughs> and you reach a like point where you're like, "Why written. am I even watching this show?" <laughs> yes, that's what I'm feeling like with this Twitter thing. So the quick recap is: Elon Musk wanted to buy Twitter, and he made an offer, but they didn't want to accept the offer. But because of the nature of the business and the way a public business works, they essentially had to, on behalf of the shareholders, because it was a good offer. Mm-hmm. So the board finally accepted. Elon took a closer look. This is the public story, right? We don't, well, we'll guess a little bit at his motivations. He took a closer look, said, There are too many bots on the platform. You've deceived me. I want out. Now, yeah. in the background of this, the economy's crashing, Twitter's value is plummeting, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and it looks like he could have made them a much smaller offer. Yeah, it looks still... like a yeah, it looks like a maneuver in order to get the business for less, you know. Yes, it looks like a bargaining a bargaining step where you go, actually I don't want to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Twitter then sued him, and there's been there there's been an ongoing case, and they're trying to get uh, what's the legal term for it? Specific obligation, specific action. You can you can actually through the court force someone to fulfill a contract and mm-hmm. not just pay the penalty. And so that's what they've been trying to do. They're like, no, we're gonna make you buy us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're gonna marry me whether you love me or not. Yep. Because <laughs> you said you would. You said you would. We and have it on paper. And so then Elon turns around and says, Okay, okay, let's do yes. it. I will pay out of nowhere. Full, I will pay full nowhere. price. You know, I'll pay the forty-four billion, and you don't have to go through with the court case. We'll just we'll, we're done. You know, settle outside of court for everything you're asking for. And Twitter, of course, rationally responds with no. We're going to continue with the court case. We're not accepting that offer of full price. To which point, I just I'm just scratching my head. I don't understand. I don't I don't even under I don't even know what to track anymore. Like. Like, what is going on here? Obviously, people aren't sharing their real motivations, which makes it more difficult. Um, you know, the <laughs> yes, layers of yes. deception here in, in the business world are weird. Yeah, but I feel like there's something for- we're missing. There's definitely something we're missing here for Twitter to be trying to force him to buy them. And when he says, okay, fine, they say, no. <laughs> right? That's, it's weird. I don't know what they can get out of the court case. I perhaps through the court case they can get uh, the same price plus a little interest, 
But that seems really risky to try and push that when he's actually offering you right now. I don't know. I don't know what the motivation is here. It's weird. Maybe they don't want to do it yet. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Or if they don't want to do the deal at all, then why did they sue him when he backed out? You know what I mean? Why didn't they just let yeah, him why, walk away? Yeah, they could have taken the broken contract, uh, $1 billion. If they want him to walk away, they can take a billion dollars and call it good. Yeah. Instead, they're pushing for the the actual, no, don't make him pay what you give when you break the contract. Force him to uphold the contract. Um, Anyway, like what you were saying, Brad, there's something here we're missing. Uh, And and it's it's clear that there's maneuvering happening here, right? I think the beginning was maneuvering from Musk. I think this is maneuvering from Twitter. I just don't know to what end this last move is going to get them. I don't I don't know where they're going with that. So if anyone anyway, if anyone's got some some insight hit us up, you yeah, know. Please, please tell us. I'm curious. I'm in this may be a B-rate, you know, a B-rated TV series at best. Maybe not even that high. This is like a paperback novel or something. But I'm invested. I've come too far now. <laughs> I need to know how it ends. But preferably without watching all those commercials. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Preferably without commercial breaks, and and I'm willing to skip to the last page and call it good. I don't need the details at this point. <laughs> okay, so back to as a side note, I think to reiterate our position because it's been months that this has been going on. I would love for Elon Musk to buy Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the world would be a better place with Elon Musk owning Twitter as a private business that he can then make the policies and say, no, 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 this is how we're going to run it. I think he would have a really hard time because the employees there are cut from one mold and it's not the free speech mold. But that's his problem and he wanted that problem when he agreed to buy it. So whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't want to own Twitter, but I'm glad someone does. Yeah, I'm glad someone does who at least shares my general opinion of maybe how it should deal with uh free speech political speech yeah Yeah. because that is one of the biggest areas where he differs from the current twitter executives anyways on on another note um recent news this week uh president biden has uh has announced uh marijuana reform um just a couple days ago now um the the white house has got a nice statement from him announcing three things that he's doing to to reform the approach to to marijuana, um, which of course piqued my interest immediately. Um, one of our very first episodes was on how stupid drug laws are, so reform all for it. So he announced a, a three pronged policy. That's, put, putting it delicately there, Brad, that's good of you. Very diplomatic. <laughs> I I am the diplomacy king. If you guys haven't noticed on this podcast, I you know make people feel so good even as I'm absolutely obliterating their views and ideas. Anyways, as I was saying, uh the first the first prong is he announced a pardon of all prior federal offenses of simple possession of marijuana, which sounds awesome, right? Um so there's going to be he's directed the attorney general is going to be issuing these pardons to all eligible individuals. Um, you know, so I hear that and I'm like, that sounds awesome. Okay. What does that actually mean? How many people are in prison right now just for a federal offense 
of marijuana possession? Answer, Dan, how many would you guess? Wait, did I already tell you the answer? How many people federal level? You, you did. This may so, bias so, my guess may... a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this, you can give, I could give you any number and just I did not, as a random I, roll of the dice, I did I'd not say mean, maybe 6,000. I did not mean to turn this into a, a reality TV series, you know, <laughs> which, you know, anyways. <laughs> Didn't mean to get you the canned answer there. The answer is zero. There are there are zero people who are in prison for just a federal offense of simple marijuana possession. Um, there are a couple reasons for that. The first reason is that it's not typically a federal offense. It's usually a state offense. And so that and this doesn't apply to that. And often if it is a federal case, it's because there are other charges beyond marijuana possession. Um, so there are about 6,000 people who do have a prior federal conviction for marijuana possession who are either in prison for other things as well, or they're not in prison at all. And it, and it is still on their record. And so, so getting that pardoned is going to help these people, right? Those 6,000 people, it's, it's going to help them by having this pardoned. But that's a drop in the bucket. You know what I mean? When you think about the Mm -hmm. fact that there are millions of people with varying drug charges on their records, you know, 6,000 people, it's it's a drop in the bucket. So the second prong is he's urging all governors to issue pardons for state offenses for simple possession of marijuana, Um, which is a fun idea. It's not going to happen. You know, by definition... If it's a red state, the governor's going to flat out say no. And if it's a blue state, the governor's probably going to say no because governors and presidents have a really hard time pardoning people because the voting populace does not like it. They do not like people to get pardoned. <sighs> Sorry, Dan, you said something about me being diplomatic before, and I'm trying to honor that. I was going to follow that up with because people are stupid, but thought I shouldn't say that and then explain that I was going to not say that. So luckily, no one's going to be offended by me saying I was going to call everyone stupid. Well, just the voting populace. People are stupid. Brad and I were talking. Brad and I were talking before this episode about what we wanted to talk about. And it became very quickly clear that if you could take a rain check from work because of you're in a bad mood or maybe not the best mindset, this would be a day where we would do that. <laughs> we're, we're not feeling particularly charitable today. <laughs> and the word stupid came up more times than it probably ever has in any of our conversations. We try to give everybody the benefit of a doubt and try and make the best case we ha- can, even for the ideas we disagree with. Some days are harder than others for that. <laughs> so, so anyway, to, to defend my argument that, that people who are opposed to governors pardoning people for simple marijuana possession are stupid is because being in prison for just a marijuana possession charge is absolutely idiotic. Marijuana is not nearly a hardcore narcotic that some people think it is. I think that's becoming more and more clear to people. Yeah. And so arresting people simply for possessing marijuana is as idiotic, no, probably more idiotic than, you know, the 1920s prohibition on alcohol that just resulted in in all sorts of, of negative side consequences. And 
people being tough on crime is one thing, but more often than not, it actually translates into this weird prejudice towards criminals. You know what I mean? That criminals are bad regardless of what crime they've committed. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when you talk about things like prison reform, one of the reasons it often struggles to get off the ground is because they're like, well, they're criminals, so I don't care if they have horrible living conditions. I don't care if they're getting attacked by their fellow inmates. They're criminals, and thus they're evil. You know, ignoring the fact that Mm -hmm. everyone breaks laws on a regular basis, some people on a daily basis, that if you were charged for all of those laws, you would be in prison too. But the reason you're not, it's because the laws you're breaking either aren't being noticed or the government isn't as interested in enforcing. Um, And yeah. And so so treating criminals as evil is is idiotic, you know, because there are plenty of evil criminals, right? You know what I yeah. mean? There are murderers, there are rapists who are evil absolutely. But then but then translate, you know, equating those with people who have a simple marijuana possession is is stupid. Is stupid. So anyways, the governors are stupid, the people are stupid. Third prong. Um did I did I call enough people stupid there, Dan, or or was I being too soft? <laughs> the governors and the non-governors. I think you got them all. Uh, that is the two categories of people that most <laughs> that, people that use. Is. You can take any category and say this and all non-this, and I think you get everybody. <laughs> Draw the line anywhere you want, as long as you get both sides. It's everyone. <laughs> uh, the third prong of of Biden's approach is he is asking the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the AG, the Attorney General, to review how why marijuana is scheduled as a Class 1 drug and see about changing it. So, so right now, marijuana is scheduled as, as, as a Schedule 1 controlled substance, which means that it's the highest classification the worst classification, the one that's there for things like heroin, you know, hardcore narcotics that are going to be extremely restricted and have other penalties associated with it, different criteria for all sorts of things, whether that's prescribing it to people, doing research on it, everything changes based off of these schedules. And right now, marijuana is right up there with heroin. It's even higher than drugs like fentanyl and methamphetamine, which is nuts, right? Yeah, it is. There's no, there's no way you could rank them where it would be more extreme than those two. Like it, it, it just doesn't make any sense, especially the, meth. Like, this, yeah, meth is hardcore. But I mean, fentanyl is. I mean, fentanyl is basically heroin. So. Why fentanyl, you know, isn't the class one drug is has to do, I'm sure, with the pharmaceutical industry because fentanyl was first and foremost a prescription drug, right? right. Um, so if 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 a company prescribes it, then it can't be that bad. But if it's a plant growing growing on the ground that no one is prescribing, <laughs> let's make it a class one. Um, <laughs> sorry, schedule one. It's class, you know, tier schedule. These, the real threat is not people hyped up on meth, Brad. It's people just being super chill. It's, we cannot have that. <laughs> I, I, I submit that this is all targeting the munchie industry. They're trying to get it shut down. 
this is this is that's right that's it, oh it's brilliant this is it. we we're gonna start a conspiracy theory right now right now right the conspiracy here. theory yeah this is it this is it actually this is the government for years has been trying to get people healthier and what they're going to do <laughs> is they're going to categorize this as much higher because we all know that things like cheetos and doritos which are the go-to munchie for someone who's got the munchies are really unhealthy and so it's just a backdoor way to try and help everybody be healthier. Exactly. When's the last time you were hanging out with a buddy who, you know, who's like, you know what, we're going to go over to our, our friend's house. We are going to, you know, we're going to we're going to make some, you know, some some fun brownies. We're going to get high and then we're going for a run. You know what I mean? When's the last time that happened? <laughs> you know, where you had some THC brownies and then went for a run. Never happened. THC brownies and a snack. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's in fact the brownies themselves, right? It's a, it's a, this is a health conspiracy. I didn't even think so stupid. Well, as a non-governor, I do fall into that stupid category. So that's fair. That's fair. Can I be neither a governor nor a non-governor? No, no. Unfortunately, that is not how this system works. So Logic has trapped me again. Welcome to the party. Keeps defeating all of my best plans. Uh, see, that's a great example of of falling into the trap of accepting their argument where they say hey if you're a governor you're stupid if you're a non-governor you're stupid you're like but is there a third category instead of saying no i don't accept that making being a non-governor makes me stupid you know yeah maybe <laughs> I was thinking I would jump into the the <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> moving right along. Um what uh, Wait, are on, you I finished I, with your three prongs. Those are the three prongs. Now I need to talk about how I feel about it. Yes. Okay. First how of all, about it? I'm very happy about this, right? This is this is something that that we thoroughly support the White House in doing. Um it doesn't do nearly as much as, you know, you might hope it would do. Um, obviously, as we covered, you know, it's only a drop in the bucket in terms of what it's actually doing. Um, urging governors to do something probably won't do anything. The The third prong is the most promising. If we can get that rescheduled as a, as a schedule two mm -hmm. or schedule three or schedule seven, I don't actually know how many schedules they are, but this one should be pretty low on it. Um that would be huge. But the other thing that's big is that you have a sitting president taking a concrete stand, I mean, in favor of decriminalizing marijuana. I mean, that's really what this is. It's not about legalizing it here. There's nothing here about legalizing marijuana, but there is things here about making efforts to decriminalize marijuana. And that is a big deal. I mean, there's already been pushed in several states you know, to legalize it, to, to add, you know, medical marijuana options, all of these things that are taking steps. This is a big step in that direction in terms of how it's perceived publicly. And I hope that, you know, that all the conservatives out there can uh, get off the anti-Biden horse for a second and realize this is actually a good thing, regardless of how you feel about Biden. I mean, for me, it's easy because I already agree with everything Biden does. To hop on this one as well and be like, yes, once again, you just rubber stamp it. Yeah. Once again, yes. I mean, his Inflation Reduction Act fixed inflation. You know what I mean? <laughs> everything, everything he's done has been perfect, and this just continues on that trend. 
but mm-hmm. for for the rest of you, just try and 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 realize that this is actually a good thing, even if you don't like, even if you don't try like and Biden. run along next to the train. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I like this. I think the direction's good. I think the steps taken are good, and I think that's that's a rare thing in in any government action lately. So so <laughs> no we'll kidding. we'll take that. We'll take that. Um, I know I know what conservatives will be saying. Brad, um, well, not all of them, because uh, some of them are on board with some changes at this point in the drug war. Uh, it's certainly a growing number. But a lot of them will say, uh, but what about the impact on society if a bunch of people start smoking marijuana? What do you have to say to that? Thank you for your feedback. That is an excellent <laughs> question. I will refer it to my supervisor. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I'm in the headspace to have a healthy discussion with you today. I would love to engage meaningfully with you, you but right now I just want to call you names. And so let's uh, put a pin in it and I'll get back to you. No, seriously, ask me the question one more time. (laughs) So clearly having, let's pretend, let's assume that, that, that the worst thing that happens for marijuana is that people become less healthy. Not not significantly. We'll say less for now. I, obviously, the studies need to be done on this, and it's been illegal to do them. So the data isn't great. I, this is, marijuana is one of those weird things where the states have defied the national laws the, in a way you're not supposed to be able to do, in theory. They've, they've nullified them. They've said, mm-hmm. we're not going to enforce those mm-hmm. laws. We're going mm-hmm. to do something different. This is the the idea of nullification. Yeah, can we talk about how awesome that is and how successful they've been? Booyah. (laughs) It's been wonderfully successful. Um, And uh, anyway, and and so it's in a weird place, but but to have federal movement is good. So conservatives are going to say, I don't want everybody around me to be smoking marijuana. It's going to make the world a worse place. Okay, so there's uh, a really easy answer for that. If you don't want people around you smoking the marijuana, please move to Singapore. Um, that's your only option because everyone is already smoking weed. Just, just, I mean, you will bump into someone today if you leave your house who is currently smoking marijuana, who is currently high. I mean, everyone is doing it, especially, I mean, and that includes all of the states where it's illegal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's been illegal in the entire country for decades, you know what I mean, with everyone smoking it. Now there are a few states where it's legal and a few states with, you know, medical cards and people are still, you know, smoking it or consuming it in a variety of ways. So if your goal is to, is to not be around it, you've already failed. Um, but if your if your concern is that more people are going to do this bad thing because of because of the law changing, that's possible. You know, that's absolutely possible that more people will do it. Um, you were but, you were saying but earlier fundamentally, that yeah. What I was just going to say, we mentioned earlier that people people tend to interpret the law as as uh, you know, people who break the law are bad, people who keep the law are good. There's a moral stigma that inevitably accompanies the law. Not inevitably, but but mm-hmm. there's a there's a it, it affects people, right? Some people will perceive things 
as evil based on the law or good based on the law. Yeah, and, and that may be the fundamental difference between marijuana now and alcohol during the Prohibition is the Prohibition came out of nowhere. So everyone was like, yeah, a year ago, this was legal and it was okay. Now it's not. And so people didn't have that moral stigma. They're like, no, we like to drink. We've been drinking and it wasn't a problem. Now the government says it's a problem, right? But unlike that, it's been illegal for so long that there is that moral stigma attached to it. That, yeah, drinking alcohol may or may not be good for you, but it's fine. But morally, smoking marijuana has this evil edge to it, <laughs> which is which is stupid, you know what I mean? You yeah. know, smoking marijuana is is I mean it's like smoking a cigarette, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's it offends some people, doesn't offend others. Some people find it gross, some people, you know what I mean, don't. And that's and that's just fine. That's that's called life, you know what I mean? That's that's what so many things are. There are tons of things that you can buy right now that I think are gross. And there are things that I don't think are gross that other people find gross. Going back to those Cheetos again. You know what I mean? But the answer isn't to legislate everything that you personally don't like out of existence. But rather, right. don't consume them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Don't yes. hang out with people who smoke marijuana if you don't want to be around it. You know what I mean? You know, you yeah. can still have laws. I mean, look at what we have right now. We have laws where you can't smoke cigarettes in a bunch of public spaces. And more importantly, you got a lot of businesses who say, yeah, you can't smoke a cigarette in in my in my business. And so people smoke cigarettes by themselves. They smoke them in, in you know, in their 25 feet away areas and they smoke them at home. And so as someone who doesn't like cigarette smoke, I don't have to be exposed to it. And guess what? People around me smoke all the time. I work at a warehouse. Probably, you know, at least a quarter of my crew smoke cigarettes, right? It's people who are actively smoking, and yet they don't do it around me. You know what I mean? And it doesn't bother me. It's not a problem, even though they're doing something that I personally am not a big fan of. You know what I mean? And if yeah, they yeah. and if they were smoking in my office while I was trying to get work done, it would really it would really be a problem for me. You know what I mean? And so yeah. so saying acting as if making it legal means that people are going to be smoking marijuana in your home against your permission is just inaccurate. Yeah, it's it's really interesting cuz as you're talking there's there's a couple different arguments that crop up that are really important these days. Um one of them is from the liberals in which they say that to do things that that I don't like harms me, right? And there's a, a stress, the argument goes something like this, that, that stress causes your cells to act in certain ways that effectively shortens their lifespan. And that's that's accurate. In some sense, stress harms you in some sense. Um, that being said, not if you, if you were to live without any stressors, you have lived an absolutely hollow life and it's probably extremely unhealthy for you. So I'm, I'm sure medically speaking that, I mean, we were built to take tension and difficulty and become stronger for it. So mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a bigger picture story to that, medically speaking. Um, but that's, that's one side of it, right? This idea that uh, you can harm me by saying things that distress me. The social conservatives, so the, the path you were walking there with conservatives, I think neatly divides the, the natural rights conservatives from the liberal, from the liberal, the natural rights conservatives from the common good conservatives. And the natural rights conservatives 
see a sphere of independence around each individual that allows them to act and make mistakes within it. Whereas the social conservatives are like, what's good for society? And what's mm-hmm. and clearly everybody doing drugs is not good for society in some sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or so that, it, and thus we should stop it this way. Uh, we should, uh, we can, we can act as a social group to stop it. Um, but there is a, and the distinction there is a, is a moral one at a basic level about what you think individual people should be trusted with with regards to their own lives and the limits of how they can affect the people around them. Um, and in the short answer from, like to state, to state what is sometimes viewed as a downside of a natural rights case very plainly is, yes, I don't get to stop all kinds of behavior that does indirectly impact me in some way. Say you're, you're living in, with a roommate or a family member, and that family member starts just binging terrible food and staying up late and playing music loud, right? Mm-hmm. All of these things are fairly benign <laughs> as far as things they could but, be doing but go. But cumulatively, it's annoying. It's, but it's... does this affect you? Absolutely, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Does this, does this harm you in both senses? Does it stress you? Does it, uh, does it, is it good for them? Are they going to be a good roommate that encourages you in your life and helps support you in the things that are good for you? No. Both the social conservatives and the, and the liberals would have to find that this, is, that this behavior cannot be tolerated, which, is, which puts you where? It puts you in the position where you control everybody's life. You then begin to, you know, like if, if you are going to have that kind of power, then what life can someone live? What, Only what a good human one. life is available? Only a good one, right? That's mm-hmm. exactly right. What human life is available? Because humans are full of mistakes. And we, in the interplay between our, our, the good things in us and the bad things in us and those around us and trying to be a better influence and trying to, you know, get our craft together. And all like, there's a, that is where almost all of the meaning in life is found. And all of that is going to be government business. <laughs> all of that is going to be handled with force and violence. No. And, and, and what's so interesting about that is this is one reason why social conservatives or, or common good conservatives argue so hard about what's good and what's not, what's right and what's wrong yeah. ag- mm-hmm. against the liberals because they fundamentally agree with liberals that it is the go- the role of government to interfere with society in order to make it better. And so their argument then rests on, well, what does better look like? You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> versus Versus natural rights conservatives and, you know, libertarians like us say no it's not about it's not about what good society looks like it's not about what we want to see other people doing it's simply not the role of government to make people better yeah. it's the role yes. of government to i mean really to stay out of our lives unless we are violating someone else's rights Yes, yes. Nor do and I, I mean that in the most concrete sense. Yes, yeah. I, I wouldn't, and I would phrase it I, differently. I agree with that completely. I would phrase one part of that even stronger that not only is it not the role, 
but it's not possible for them to make people better. Imagine、mm. the apparatus to go in and impose. I like that. On, on these circumstances, the people who are going to be doing it are going to be acting as truly as like tyrants, abusive tyrants dealing with children, <laughs> um, is, is, the, is the position they've put themselves in with, with, with absolute power、um, to determine what is right and what is right for everybody and to impose it.、Um, but beyond that,、um, what does that do, Brad, if your relationship and my relationship? Are governed by a third party. What is our relationship at that point? What, what, what would be the meaning of our friendship if, if the terms of it are dictated by some kind of you know, social vision of what it means to be a good, a good human being that is forced upon you? Like、and, is, and the answer is, I don't know because it would destroy our relationship. It would destroy our relationship. That's exactly what I was. The, it those, would destroy it and replace it with something else. And replace it with something else. It's, what's interesting is in the worst tyrannies, one of the, one of the trippiest things,、uh, Tacitus writes about this in his writings on the, on the, under the Roman emperors.、Uh, what is it? Testus, the Annals.、Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had this passage that really moved me where he's talking about how.、Um, Loyalty to the government became the big thing, loyalty under, I believe it was under Tiberius. And,、uh, and as Tiberius became more paranoid,、um, to prove your loyalty, people would start to turn in other people as traitors. If you wanted to, how do you signal that you are not a traitor? You find mm-hmm. traitors. Mm-hmm. And,、uh, and, and it became. It got so bad and he was so paranoid and <laughs> the system became so corrupt that, that people would do this to friends and, and relatives.、Um, and they would turn them in、uh, if they said the wrong things. This, this kind of thing actually happens and happened in Russia and in China、uh, at different points and still happens in North Korea.、Um, and、uh, he, he writes about what happened to the relationships that ultimately this destroyed. All relationships, and, and probably not all of them, that's probably too far, but that's, that's the way he describes it. But generally because, speaking, yes, because at that point, trusting people is, was foolish. But anyway, it's just, it's just interesting that, and I'm not trying to draw a direct parallel there, because、uh, the conservative who believes that you, should be,、uh, that you should treat other people with respect. And that you should not do drugs and not do these things, and that you should say, you know, whatever it may be in a personal relationship.、Um, uh, anywhere they're going to draw a line is going to be arbitrary. Why not? If it's good not to tell lies, let's, let's stop people from lying.、Right? Let's,、mm-hmm. let's make people tell the truth.、Mm-hmm. If it's good to,、uh, to do these things uh, uh, and it's okay for us to impose on them, where is the line?、Um, It no, seems and, only and a, limited great, by technology. And, and a great example for this, going back to marijuana, for those, for those conservatives who are still listening to this and they're like, for those who haven't turned it off, you know, which is fair.、Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad that you threw that in there because all those people aren't going to hear it anyway. <laughs> But maybe we could excerpt this and send it to them.、Um, <laughs> sorry. What was I going to say? It was a good point. Oh, that, that yeah, if, if we can all agree that, that marijuana is bad for you and it's bad for society and therefore we should stop it, you know, 
liberals often do the same thing with other things that that a lot of people agree are bad for you. I mean, look at, you know, you know, cities who ban large soft drinks because the data is clear that drinking a soft drink is just not good for you. You know what I mean? There's no pressing need to drink 64 ounces of soda in one sitting. You know what I mean? When you're at a restaurant. There's no need for it, right? The, no one no one is going to die if that doesn't happen. And it's conclusively bad for them. As someone who drinks soda regularly, I'm well aware <laughs> of how bad it is for you. You know what I mean? Um, yes. Yes. There's, and there's so, no and, redeeming quality here. <laughs> well, there is a redeeming quality. It's delicious. Just like there's a redeeming quality for marijuana. You know what I mean? It, it has positive things. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. But <laughs> if you're true. weighing it objectively as a society... You can easily say, yeah, this isn't worth it for people. You know what I mean? Drinking soda generally is not worth it. If we didn't have soda in the United States, just it was ne- it never it never existed, the general health of the United States would go up a couple notches just with that one change, right? <laughs> Probably be visibly different. It yeah. would be visibly different. <laughs> Obesity would be better, other health problems would be better. I mean, the the data is there, right? Yeah. But the problem is, is that what are you doing? You're taking away people's agency. You're taking away my ability to say, yes, I know this is bad for me and I understand the risks and I'm willing to accept those risks and drink four Mountain Dews while I sit down at my dinner table. You know what I mean? And and that's the same thing with marijuana or any other vice because there are a whole lot of them out there. You know, it's not just cigarettes, it's not just alcohol which are both incredibly destructive, right? Sugar's not the only thing that's incredibly destructive. Alcohol is destructive, you know. Cigarettes are destructive, marijuana. There's a whole list of things that are yeah, bad for you. Alcohol should be gone. Like if you were going to do this with alcohol, alcohol yeah, absolutely yeah, if, should be gone. If if you're banning marijuana because of the negative health effects to people and the negative health effects negative effects that it causes people to to do then you have to ban alcohol because it's much worse but that's not what you want to do because you've decided that just this one thing is bad why because it was already illegal and that's just not logical because laws can change it wasn't always illegal and it doesn't have to always be illegal just like alcohol yeah it's this has got me thinking a lot because i know that the pragmatist listening to this could say, yeah, we can't ban alcohol because it's impractical too, right? The people, people wouldn't stand for it, obviously. But there are certain things you can ban, certain things you can change. And, and yeah, you can't, you can't impose a complete moral code on people, but you can impose around the edges. You can, you can make them, uh, uh, you can change some of the terms and say, you can't say this or this. You can't say racial slurs. You can't, uh, you need to call people by their pronouns if with the transgender things, or you need to you know that that you and I are catastrophizing by looking at worst case scenarios to demonstrate uh, the principle when a pragmatist would say, actually, you can just fiddle around the edges and not necessarily in a, in a fiddle around the edges is usually a bad phrase, but in this case, you can cut very carefully, you can be very precise. And you can uh, you can change a few things, and society would be better off than it would be otherwise. You can keep marijuana illegal. Yeah, and and the argument to that, Dan, is very simple: is that marijuana is not an edge product. 
that millions of people consume marijuana in the United States. And so (laughs) what you do in terms of criminalizing marijuana has a widespread effects. You know what I mean? People, People are arrested because of marijuana on a regular basis. People's lives are completely upended because of marijuana laws on a regular basis. I mean, so many businesses drug test for marijuana primarily mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of the state laws that are associated with it or federal laws, etc. You know what I mean? So because of the illegality, these businesses test for it. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if you consume marijuana, which by the way, stays in your system a freakishly long time. So people are like, oh, well, yeah, you can't, you, you can't be high on marijuana when you're at work. It's like, no, we're saying you can't even smoke marijuana once a month and and work a job that drug tests for it reliably. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so so that creates a whole a whole new new problem for people who consume marijuana where they can't work in in whole industries and in in whole job categories because of that. You know what I mean? And all sorts of things that come with it. This is not an edge problem. This is a real problem that's hurting people. It may not be hurting you specifically, but real people are actually suffering on a regular basis and not just on the small scale right now because of these laws. Yeah, this marijuana is a weird one cuz like you said, like you're saying even practically, even if you were the most uh what's the word? utilitarian person and you wanted to just and you were very comfortable with being taking it case by case and, and never relying on any kind of broad principle or worrying about those kind of things or, or asking about the, the nature of man or something like that, right? Even <laughs> getting philosophical about it. Uh-huh. Um, marijuana is everywhere. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it has been for decades. And it will be whether these laws change or not. They should change. We should stop. We should, there's no reason... It's like a bad lottery system where you're randomly taking a tiny fraction of the people on marijuana and punishing them. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, and (laughs) And not enough to change behavior, right? Not enough to, but enough to wreck a lot of people's lives. Enough to just make these poor souls who lost the lottery system (laughs) more miserable. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's silly. It's silly. It's silly at a lot of levels, and I think it's morally wrong. I think the the idea, and I, I, I want to talk about this more another time because I've our conversation has sparked a lot of ideas about this. But I really think that there's a people don't want to deal with the chaos of the world. They want things to be certain, and they want security. Um, there are various authors who've made a, a very perceptive comments about the fact that people don't actually want freedom. Uh, they want security and they mm-hmm. want freedom within that security, right? They want, mm-hmm. they want a certain degree of it, um, but they don't actually want the risks and things associated with personal responsibility. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because it actually is legitimately frightening <laughs> to be responsible for yourself um, <laughs> in a lot of ways. And, and, and ideally, frankly, you're not. Ideally, you have a family. And you have friends. Yeah, you have you support have, structures. Yes, yes. That, I do, that you're, you're not, not an individual building a cabin by yourself in the woods. Yes, as libertarian as we are, uh, Ayn Rand is wrong about a lot, right? Ayn Rand is not uh, Ayn Rand's like one man against the world as the epitome of virtue. 
is actually just not. <laughs> it's missing a lot of things. It's, it's missing so many things. <laughs> now, don't, now, now, don't take that the wrong way because her insights into what government does when it interferes in the yes, market and some are incredible, stuff. are yes. prescient, and so applicable today. But, but some of the personal stuff, I agree with you completely in how. Yeah. It doesn't have to be based off of selfishness. It doesn't have to be based off of just an individual. There's so much more to life than that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and even in charitable organizations, all of these things that that it you should not be entirely alone. And because things go, you know, you get unlucky, should not crush you. Um, but again, none of this forces government action of any kind. None of this says, and that's why we have to uh, impose on people, right? Mm -hmm. that, that step doesn't have to ever enter into the equation. <laughs> but, it's, but it's interesting to be in a world where, where the people around you are actually strangers. Like, like I, when I engage with people on the street or, or, you know, just, and I do talk to people on the street. I talk to people at stores. I, I didn't know I'd ever become that person, but here yeah, I am. you're a weird person. It's partially that in Texas, people do that. Mm. If you're not listening to music or things, people will talk to you more. Um, anyway. The, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm excited because I don't know what they're going to say, right? There's something scary about that and interesting about that. And I don't know what they're like. I do know that they're, they're not going to stab me and take my groceries. Mm -hmm. right? I don't know it per se, but we rely on that norm, right? They're not going to steal from me, but mm -hmm. maybe they'll say something I disagree with. Maybe they'll, uh, push me in ways that are uncomfortable, not, not physically. Um, but within, I think you can have a certain limit, which is uh, generally around violence, theft, fraud, these kind of things we've mentioned. And, and also allow for people to be people and have their own story and have their mm -hmm. own path where they rise and they fall and they make mistakes and they, they smoke marijuana, which is a dumb idea. Don't do that. <laughs> there may be reasons to do it for health reasons. It actually seems to be pretty potent for anxiety and different stuff, but I'm not an expert on that. But, um, but anyway, it's just... But, but that's a great example of it. It allows for people to have their own sense of morality that's not the same as yours. You know what I mean? You can talk to someone at the store and agree diametrically with them about core ideas, about religion, about health, about all sorts of things. <laughs> and still coexist. It's until you start bringing in that that element of force, diametrically opposed views can actually coexist, and and that's what we're talking about here. That's right. That is what we're talking about, isn't it? That was a good. <laughs> is that when you take force <laughs> well, out? Thank of you for it, making a point out of what I said. <laughs> people can be different without going to war with each other. Yeah, and this... that's the fundamental principle behind our political beliefs. Yes. Yes. Look at that. I have a fund I have a good principle behind my political beliefs. I just <laughs> discovered it. Thanks to Brad. <laughs> oh, uh, shut up. No, that was that was ins I'm I'm half joking, but only half joking because that was really insightful. I think that's brilliant. Um I once read a book that talked about this and maybe this will be our final final thought. Um at least my final thought. Um that if you had to say is there a common is there a truly common idea to all mankind upon which you could build a government that allowed for every kind of belief, not every kind of belief, because you don't want to allow for the person who wants to sacrifice you, 
right? <laughs> but but that would allow for uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a common not a, not a belief in government, but a common uh, a common desire that every human being shared, from which you could then deduce principles of government. Um, and the one that he came to uh, that I thought was really insightful was that I don't want you or anyone else to just have absolute arbitrary control over my life. And you don't want some random stranger to come in and take absolute control of your life. Now, different people may actually have someone that they want to take control of their life. Maybe a Christian wants Christ to take control mm -hmm. of their life <laughs> you know, or something like that. But, but no one wants to be ruled over by just some other random body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we can come together on that, we can say, well, then what are the ground rules that allow us to coexist as people who don't want to end up fighting each other to impose on each other, but want that freedom? And you can get to something like what we've been talking about. You can say, well, then you can't, you can't make war on them. You can't steal, be violent, and all these other things. And, and you can have people with different beliefs. Brad, you captured that so well. That's, that's exactly why we're headed towards civil war in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's because both, both sides believe that it's the government's job to enforce their values on the other side. And as long as you both believe that, as long as both sides believe that, there can never be peace. No, no, there can't. We're just slightly better than some barbarian horde who wants to come and make you part of their, you know, conquer you and rule you, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not, the violence hasn't spilled out onto the streets very often. Um, we still believe, and partially I think that's because both parties still believe they can win it through the political game. Mm -hmm. Which is insane. Which is insane and not comforting, right? That just, that, that doesn't mean we're better than the violence on the street. It just means we think we've got an easier method, <laughs> right? Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's terrifying. We were going to talk economics and some other things, but this has been a good discussion, Brad. Any other final thoughts? Yeah, yeah. We've got some other things we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about, um, uh, Biden's made some comments about, about gas prices that were interesting. Also, some stuff going on about inflation and interest rates with the Fed we wanted to talk about. We also wanted to talk about, uh, what's her name? Uh, Liz Truss, the new British prime minister. Um, she's getting a ton of hate for having some free market <laughs> ideas, um, which this is all interesting stuff that's that's worth talking about. We may talk about it another week. We may end up never talking about it. If so, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to mention it real quick. These are some things that are going on that are worth talking about, um, that are also worth looking up, you know, and, and we'll talk about what we can next week. But yeah, the, the, the final, I guess the final thought is, yeah, is that is that coexistence is only possible if you accept the idea that it's okay for people to be not just a little bit different from you, but fundamentally different from you, you know? Um, yeah. The, the thing, ways you think aren't moral. The, the thing I keep yeah. going back to is, is daily wire, you know, the conservative uh, conglomerate, you know, of, made up of a bunch of political pundits like Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro. They actually had a conversation one time talking about this issue because some of them are natural rights conservatives and some of them are social conservatives or common good conservatives. And they actually had this discussion and it was – I think I never liked Ben Shapiro more than in this discussion <laughs> yes. because, because one of the guys 
I, I think it was Knowles, but I'm not sure, was arguing. And he's like, yes, I think we should be able to go into someone's home and stop them from, I think it was just something as simple as cross-dressing in their own home. And, and it blew my mind because that is the logical conclusion of the common good conservative principles is like, if this is bad, if, if, if these trans ideas are fundamentally bad for society, then yes, it is okay for government to step in and stop them. And Ben Shapiro was like, no, that is absolutely not okay. And I disagree. And, and that distinction is so important. And, and for the conservatives listening, I want you to, to evaluate what you believe in, because as long as you believe that it is the role of government to go into people's homes and tell them how to live, and liberals believe the exact same thing, we're never going to get out of the current, you know, the current, you know, pre-Civil War mentality that we have now because it is always going to be life or death. It is always going to be all or nothing until we realize that the only solution is to coexist, is to allow people to be different without using force to stop them. And with that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com, where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks, and have a wonderful day.